Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Michael Tegos. Today, I'm excited to welcome Chris Reddle, who will outline his stock picks in the global automotive sector amidst the electric vehicle revolution. Chris is a global automotive fund manager with over 20 years of experience covering the global automotive industry, both on the sell side and the buy side. He currently focuses on electric vehicle stocks and their supply chains. The aim is to identify the winners and losers from a long and short perspective, including close coverage of legacy automakers as well. Chris, welcome to the webinar. Thank you very much for being with us today. The floor is yours. Thank you for having me, and thanks for the great introduction. We're going through an interesting time in the uh, auto industry right now. It's been supply constrained for about two years now, and this is due to a huge shortage in automotive semiconductors. Um, These semiconductors go into everything from your telematic systems in your car, if you have one, to uh, the controlling units that move your windshield or your your rear view mirror. Most of the um, car makers used old style chips during the uh, beginning of the crisis, right when the uh, pandemic struck, is exactly when stay at home style of life began. And that's when you had a pickup in games, uh, you had a pickup in work from home devices, applications and all that, which just caused demand for semiconductors to spike so high that the automakers were left standing you know, without any supply. The most nimble ones were probably Toyota, from what I've seen. I would say Tesla was probably the most crafty in terms of not only getting ahead of the crunch in supply, but also in terms of probably being the first car maker to use non-automotive grade chips to replace their usual semiconductors. And uh, so because of this, Tesla And for a while, Toyota at the outset, but not so much thereafter, Tesla was able to stay up there and running and literally one of the few shops that could actually deliver on time and and, uh, grow their production. We're coming now to a point where this is dragged on for about two years. And in the process, you could see the inventory uh, fall. This is from pre-COVID to just about a month or two ago. Inventory levels in the U.S., the U.S. has been hit the hardest, have fallen by 85% from the pre-COVID levels. This has been a huge strain on car makers. It caused car prices to completely spike. Our favorite indicator is the uh, Mannheim used car index. And if you can see this here, this has gone up some 40 to 50% ever since the uh, chip crisis began. Cars are now becoming so expensive that I'm guessing that at some point there may be some price exhaustion. Volumes are already low, but what we might start seeing is this has kept the uh, bottom lines of the car makers who've been forced to go without the chips and idle their production to keep their profits intact. In fact, profitability has actually gone up because of the price increase of cars, Um, not only because the shipping prices are going up for the car makers, but also because 
their used car trade-ins become more profitable. So their finance divisions have seen record high profit margins. But at some point, the prices will have to come down. And it'll either come down by one of two factors. One is, as I just mentioned, price exhaustion. And the second one would probably be greater chip supply. And this is um, one of the big topics, I think, uh, right now. And that is many car makers are starting to follow Tesla's techniques of resourcing, repurposing chips from non-automotive appliances, so much so that in Q1, Honda was actually hit hard because the domestic supply of chips for water heaters had been bid out by water heater makers, and they completely bought out the supply, leaving Honda without that option to cover their regular semiconductor shortage with. However, as we go into Q2, there are some interesting um, trends going on in the, uh, in the semiconductor world where recent reports, both from Credit Suisse and some other um, brokers, show that the uh, demand for smartphones especially and also PCs are starting to drop, so much so that there are order cancellations and that car makers are actually starting to get, quote unquote, carve outs for extra supply of semiconductors. Now, not all these semiconductors that the chip makers can supply will cover the needs of the chip shortage that a lot of car makers. And this has to do with car makers using older chips than what uh, chip makers are used to comfortably making. So we should see from July a pretty significant pickup in supply for those car makers who, who are nimble enough. And I would say the Japanese are probably one of the most well-placed. And this will lead to a rebuilding of inventory. The rebuilding of inventory would probably lead to a price decline, in my view. Um, right now, the average Japanese car maker and U.S. car maker as well in the U.S. are at around 15 to 20 days of supply. The normal level is about 55 to 60. So there's a lot of inventory rebuilding to do. The interesting thing is once the inventory is rebuilt, prices must come down. So if prices come down, who are the uh, most obvious victims? The first would be Tesla, because they have no independent dealers. They do a direct sales system online, and they pocketed all the price hikes that they've enacted since the uh, semiconductor shortage began. And then the second one would be auto dealers in America. And those include the likes of Penske, AutoNation, et cetera. But these are the ones who took the uh, mild price increases from um, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers like Ford, Toyota, GM, and all the car makers, and they marked them up with these special chip surcharges. Those surcharges will have to go away. Car makers, in turn, may have to start raising dealer incentives again to help them out because the price crash will be immense. And so what's going to happen is inventory rebuild should lead to price decline. And because of that, you have to ask you know, the question with each car stock, does this car maker have a cost structure where they can see significant price reductions, say 10 to 15%, but still cover that and make more money by seeing an increase in volumes by 10%. And um, that's exactly where companies like Honda and Toyota sit. Subaru itself is very bullish this year with its forecasts of 28% volume growth. 
These stocks have all sort of, except for there are two sets of stocks in Japan, especially that have done very well. One is Mitsubishi Motors, which does not have that much need for the uh, kind of semiconductors that are in short supply. And the other two are the ones like Mazda and Subaru, who have found ways to repurpose chips and uh, launch their um, volume growth schedules for this year. All three of these stocks, Subaru, Mazda, Mitsubishi, have roofed it ever since they announced a forecast for the next fiscal year in May. And this is mainly because they had strong volume forecasts. So all three had double-digit volume growth forecasts. All three went up a lot. On the other hand, you had companies like Toyota and Honda, the sort of safest ones in the league, and they had very conservative guidance. In fact, uh, both Toyota and Honda have been laggards compared to the three um, growth Japanese stocks I just mentioned. This is because they forecast profit declines. These profits are based on very, very conservative assumptions. With my recent calls to um, the two of them, it seems like even they are now seeing better than originally assumed environment because of the uh, increase in semiconductor supply. In fact, I can't mention which, but they're all looking at around a sharp step up in supply from Q2. And what had originally been seen as a mild step up in Q3 for semiconductor supply is actually going to become another large step up based on recent word on the ground. So when this happens, what I expect is that you might have huge upward revisions from uh, Toyota and Honda, not in the first quarter of the current fiscal year. The Japanese fiscal year ends in March. So not in the uh, June quarter. Everyone in, in the June quarter, including car makers in the US, are getting electronic modules shipped in from uh, the Shanghai parts region near the Delta River. And this has had huge disruptions from the uh, zero COVID policies in uh, Shanghai. This has led to a complete sort of idling of factories for any car maker who sources electronic modules from Shanghai. This includes most of the Japanese big five car makers, not only in their Japanese plants, but also at their um, North American plants, but it also includes um, some of the big three as well. Because of this, the, the June quarter is going to be quite tough. Tesla itself had its uh, factory shut down for 19 days in uh, April. So Q2 is sort of factored in as a bad quarter. The question is, what happens in Q3? And this is where I see the volume growth covering for price declines being the best scenario. And in that sense, I would say probably Toyota is the strongest, the safest bet. Honda is still trying to revive its uh, car division, which is seeing very low single-digit margins of around 3% operating margins. But it does have this massive cash cow motorcycle business that gives it sort of a value bet. So for me, I would rather go for Toyota. But, um, I would say that the downside, if you're looking to short and hedge with a long, Honda would possibly be a better protection on the downside from a value perspective, given its low price to book value. I do think that in an environment like we are now with rising interest rates, possible recession, I do think after the long run we've had on zero interest rates and having high flying stocks like Tesla go up and trade to um, seven to 10 times enterprise value to sales multiples, while making not that huge profit margins. I think the, those days are over. I think what, what you're going to see is a flight to safety, in which sense I would say that at the moment, the Japanese, in terms of having the, the better global footprint, the better cost structure, are probably the favored bunch to look at versus any shorts you might have in um, whether it be electric vehicle stocks, whether it be 
let's say Volkswagen because they've overinvested in electric vehicles too soon and they didn't need to and they're not making money. Already there's word from Ford that they're not making money on theirs. I think we, we need to see what happens. I, I personally, I'm not short Volkswagen. I'm not recommending it, but I, I do see them as possibly hitting a snag somewhere unless they can start uh, ramping up their EV production to normal levels. To, to show you how strong the uh, new model launches are going to be in the um, compact sports utility segment. Um, this is from a recent Bank of America report called Car Wars. They do this every year to show model momentum. And they're favored two stocks in terms of how many old models will be replaced by new models and therefore lower the average age of their fleet and grow volumes. The most are Ford and um, Toyota is number two. The, the hottest segment right now in the auto industry, which is the compact SUV segment. And um, this is how many models are coming out. This is concentrated because uh, launches were delayed during the pandemic. These have been very high margin models. And guess what? Everybody knows it. So everyone's climbing into it, which is why this is probably going to be one of the uh, lowest margin segments of the auto industry um, once we get to 2024-25. Usually, back in the old days, the higher your EBITDA margin was, the higher your multiple was. As you can see now with this uh, sort of distorted bubble that we've been in from zero interest rate policies, you've got the highest EV to sales company being Lucid uh, actually generating a loss, generating a loss actually beyond 2023 and into 2026. Stocks like Rivian, which for a moment traded more than Daimler-Benz when it IPO'd last uh, November. These two electric makers won't see profits till 2026. And they're trading at uh, higher multiples than the average, which is about uh, 0.5 to 0.7 times. And with that, I'll open the uh, floor to questions if there are any. Thank you very much for that, Chris. It seems like Tesla is in a very interesting position here. It's, it has seen uh, a challenging time in terms of its uh, stock price, of course, but it still uh, has basically the market capitalization of like the global top 10 automakers combined. In light of what you just talked about, the sort of expected bounce back in uh, semiconductor supply, and which could potentially drive prices down. Could you elaborate a bit on where that sort of leaves Tesla and how do you see the, the company going forward? Great question. We, we actually just put out a report on, on this issue today. It's called Tesla May Struggle as Rivals Rebuild Inventory. Tesla has sort of benefited the most, as I, as I mentioned earlier in the presentation, because it doesn't have an dealers, independent dealership system. As I said, they take all their orders online from the customers and sell the cars directly to the customers. Therefore, any price hikes that they conduct are 100% their profits. None of it goes to the dealers. So in a price decline environment, what are the effects? So um, as I just mentioned, with a company like Honda, uh, they've got their cost structure where they can take a double-digit price decline, and if volumes go up by double digits, it'll more than cover for the price declines. What's uh, peculiar about Tesla at this point, and what is really sort of bad luck for this happening at this point to Tesla, is that as the car makers are starting to see supply of chips opening up and coming forward faster than expected, 
Tesla has just opened up its uh, two new factories in Germany and another one in Texas. These two new factories make one model for now, and it's the Model Y. If you look at the uh, capacity that they'll have um, by the end of August, because they're increasing their Shanghai line as well, they have over 50% of last year's sales in that segment, in that price segment. So this is going to be very tough because um, shows you how many compact sports utilities are coming to the market. And the Model Y is um, Tesla's number one profit driver. It is um, going to be the biggest volume model for them. It's also the youngest model. And uh, like I said, it's a segment that everybody wants to get into. Get into. And um, as of Q1 already, it was, it was up about 165% globally, 165% year on year globally. But with all these new models coming in, while they're trying to ramp up these two huge factories in Germany and Texas, they could see some pricing pressure to begin with. And then also they have yet to show any signs of higher raw material, material prices, which is strange because they use a lot, a lot of lithium. It's not much in terms of the contents of the battery. The cathode is usually the biggest part, but it is a component that has seen its it's a material that has seen its price increase by around 500% year over year. And yet uh, Tesla's um, cost of goods sold per unit produced, uh, units sold, has actually gone down 3% during that time. So what I'm thinking is going to happen is that they're locked into some kind of a long-term lithium contract, and maybe nickel as well, that is set to expire at some point. And that's why they've seen such uh, price declines as their volumes increase. If this resets to current prices, my estimates are the uh, lithium content of one battery pack for them goes from $750 about a year ago to about $4,200. And that's a pretty significant price hike. And this is possibly why you've seen Tesla hike the price of the Model Y about nine times in the past uh, 12 to 15 months. Understood, thank you very much. It, it does seem like a, like a pretty challenging environment. You made a, a great point there about battery components. Uh, we focus a lot on, you know, semiconductor supply these days, just because it's it's such a, a pressing challenge. But in terms of that side of the electric vehicle manufacturing supply, are there players that you see better positioned than others in terms of securing those components and being further ahead in EV manufacturing? Um, in terms of battery cells, right? Yes. This is a tricky question because it all it, the, the next question is how much lithium supply does the, the battery cell maker have? This is where it, it's like you get into top secret territory. There's word that Volkswagen has or is looking to buy a mine, has bought or is looking to buy lithium mines. Elon Musk hasn't really openly said he's going to buy a mine, but he's talked about building mines. He's just put off by the high price of lithium miners right now. Uh, in fact, in the report we put out um, today on Tesla, there's there's a quote from him saying that it's you know lithium is turned into a software type operating margin business. Uh, it's basically 90 percent operating margins. The point is, battery cell makers are probably being helped out by their customers, the likes of Volkswagen, the likes of Toyota, etc., to um, sort of get a hold on the supply of lithium as quickly as possible before it goes up too high. 
there are many reports. Um, in fact, I would say it's now almost consensus that by 2025 or 2026, the uh, amount of lithium mines that are already running and the ones that are scheduled to come online by that time will not be enough to satisfy all the demand for the EV model launches that we're going to see by 2025 and 2026. Not only the new model launches, but the existing model launches up until that point. You could see lithium prices go so high that they're either going to have to find a new technology, they're either going to have to find a replacement, or what's going to happen is you're going to see hybrids come into fashion. And in that sense, um, car makers like Toyota, who's not only into hybrids, but also into fuel cells, but also you know, BMW and Mercedes, who have hybrid lineups um, ready, are probably going to make out quite well and see less um, earnings volatility. Got it. That clears it up quite a bit, actually. Thank you very much for that, Chris. We're just coming up on time. So if there are no other questions, we can wrap this up. Chris, thank you very much for being with us today and for taking the time. As Chris mentioned, he has just published a new report about Tesla and the impact of the the current situation on other automotive players as well. So I encourage all Smart Karma users to look that up. And of course, you can follow Chris's profile on Smart Karma so that you don't miss any of the insights that he publishes. If you have any other questions, you can always email us at research at smartkarma.com and we will make sure to pass on any questions to Chris. Thank you very much for attending and thank you, Chris, very much once again. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks, subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.